0: It was what everybody else said that I should want and I should do and I should pursue. And it was a catastrophe. I was bad at it. I didn't enjoy it. And now looking back on it, I realized the biggest sin of all was that I was entirely wasting the talents and the gifts that I was
1: given. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And I want to thank my listeners in Michigan for listening in and joining us on that mission today. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Dan McClure. Dan, are you ready to join the mission? I absolutely am, Andrew. (laughs) Let me introduce you to the audience. Dan is, listen up, ladies and gentlemen, this is an interesting bio. Dan is an innovation choreographer, That's someone whose job is to run into burning buildings, looking for opportunities to reinvent the way the world works. He's a thought leader in the emerging practice of ecosystem innovation and the co-author of the fast company press book, Do Bigger Things, a practical guide to powerful innovation in a changing world. Across his 40-year career, he's worked with firms facing the threat of obsolescence Helped business pioneers thrive in fast changing markets and supported activists tackling tough challenges like climate change. He's a passionate optimist who's excited about the future. Dan, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Well, you know, it's interesting. I
0: don't know that you always know your unique value when you're a kid. And eventually you just find out that you can't escape it. So, The thing that I haven't been able to escape is the fact that I'm a generalist. You know, so many people say, oh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Well, that's absolutely me. Um, All over the place as far as skills, interests, experiences. But you combine that with big picture thinking. I'm not really good at details. You know, taxes are kind of a nightmare to me and things. And then you throw in a little bit of rebel somebody who's willing to break some rules, break the status quo, and that mix of things, big picture thinking, generalist, rebel, that's the choreographer mix, and that's kind of what I'm good at. Maybe the only thing I'm good
1: at. (laughs) Well, maybe it's what you're great at. Maybe you're good at a lot of other things. No, actually... I'm not good at other things. (laughs) I'm not
0: really good at other things. I think that's one of the things you got to embrace, is... You're not great at something and then pretty good at a bunch of other stuff. You're great at something, and then you're likely to suck at a lot of other stuff. And just embrace that and let it be, you know. And in my case, that combination of stuff lets me see big problems, understand them, and change them, create new solutions.
1: Yeah, and I I think the word that, that you use is innovation. And it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. In boardrooms and you know, in a lot of different places. And I suspect a lot there are people that think that they're innovative and they're not. And there's people that don't necessarily see the innovation that they're developing and they are innovative. But I'm just curious, like, can you help us understand what is innovation and why, why is it an important thing? So let me let me tackle the first bit of that with a little
0: bit of an analogy. If you ask me what is music, I mean, the answer, there's some real easy answers, like it's notes and rhythm and things like that played, but if you try to get any more specific than that, you know, is Mozart music in the same way that a rap song is music in the same way that a drum rhythm is music, innovation is the creation of something new that changes the world in a meaningful way. So that's like the easy answer. But what you have to understand is there's different types of innovators. So there's innovators that grew up in the 1950s who are really good at analyzing everything in detail. And they're the ones that can create the master plans for building a submarine or building a bridge. Then there are innovators who are really good at making something just a little bit better, like incrementally improving the operation of a factory. And then there's innovators who are good at, you know, inventing a new product, say a new mobile app or something like that. Every one of those people is an innovator and they're all completely different from one another. So they're all doing something new. And they're all doing it in different ways. The thing that I think you got to realize today is none of those innovators have the key to the kinds of problems that we've got now. So what excites me is that my particular, you know, witch's brew of talents are the ones that you need for doing the fourth generation of innovation, which is building complex solutions that involve lots of different pieces all being put together. Mm. And that's the form of innovation
1: that gets me excited. And you know, the title of your book is do bigger things. Why did you choose the word bigger? You know, I don't necessarily, innovation doesn't necessarily mean bigger, but you see bigger. Why did you use that word? Well, you think about those other types of innovation that I mentioned.
0: The guys that can spend years looking at a problem before they can do anything on it or that are doing small incremental improvements or small mobile apps those are all kind of limited things there's bounds around them the type of innovation that's really going to be important in the future is about assembling lots of different pieces together and that allows you to do bigger things like solve climate change reinvent a company. And so it really is about doing bigger things. It's using
1: all the pieces of the world to try to do something new. Mm. I want to tell you a story of what I think is innovation. And then you tell me what you think about what we're doing. I've been teaching company valuation for 30 years. What is this Mm -hmm. company worth? And I worked all my career as an analyst calculating the value of companies. So I started a course called Valuation Masterclass. And what I found was that the problem is with an online course, people will sign up, but they won't complete it. So you only have about a 10% completion rate. Mm. And that's like a traditional thing for online courses. And I thought, I don't I don't want that. That means 90% of people didn't get what I'm trying to convey. Yeah. And so I started a, a new thing. Okay, let's say some innovation came up with the idea, why don't we create the Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp? Same material, but with little additions of, you know, they're going to be talking with me twice a week. They're going to have specific assignments where they're going to apply what they had in the videos and all that. And so when we launched the first Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp, we did it online. No, no the first one, we did it one, a practice one that was actually on site, but the first one live, number one, we did, and we did all of that, and we found that the pass rate was about 70%. Well, that's a huge uplift.
0: Yeah. So, first off, congratulations, solving a hard problem, right? And my guess is you tried to solve the problem by making smaller changes before this, right? It's not like you went directly to this big, bigger,
1: more disruptive change. Correct. And even the idea of just saying, I had, nine people come to my house during COVID time. We could have gatherings in Thailand of, you know, up to 20 or whatever it was. And basically nine people came to my house five days a week for six weeks. And I was developing the material, although I had a lot in my head and stuff. So I was developing as I was going. And that was the first kind of testing of it. And then we decided, could we do this online and say, how do we get to a bigger audience? So I think it's interesting
0: when I'm watching you talk about this. You've got a choreographer's hand motions here. <laughs> it's like I can almost see you moving the blocks around as you as you talk about it. And really what you were doing and... It's typical of the kind of success we see with ecosystem innovation is you were putting together new blocks in new ways. So you had new elements like a direct interaction with you. You had different relationships between the blocks. So if you thought of your course like Legos, you were assembling the Legos in a new and different way. And I also appreciated the fact that you said the content was the same. So it was the reassembly of the Legos, not the changing of the content that mattered. And that's what's so powerful about this kind of innovation is oftentimes you don't change the pieces at all, but the way you put them together, the way that you connect things, that allows you to get entirely
1: different results. And then I want to tell a story about a hospital in Thailand. Mm Mm-hmm. They had big ambitions. And so in about 1992, they got funding from international organizations, domestic funding. But they borrowed in U.S. dollars, they bought a lot of money, and they built a state-of-the-art 560-bed facility. And they finished that in about maybe 1995, 1996. And they had plans that it was, you know, it was at at maybe 40% capacity, but they would slowly grow up. And then what happened was, in 1997, the Thai bot collapsed. The Thai economy Mm -hmm. collapsed and all of a sudden the debt doubled and they ended up having kind of a bankruptcy and then they had to delist from the stock market. And then what happened was that Thai people weren't going to go to a premium hospital Mm -hmm. and they were in deep trouble and they had US dollar debts that were massive. But somehow they came up with the idea, wait a minute, the Thai bot has devalued massively meaning a foreign person that came to Thailand would be able to buy a lot with $1. They'd get, instead of getting 25 baht, they're gonna get 50 baht. Mm -hmm. And then they thought, what if we start marketing this hospital to foreign patients? And they started that process and now, you know, 20 some years later, they're the number one hospital in Thailand in receiving foreign patients, and they are super profitable and super successful. But the let's, I don't know whether we would call it innovation, but this switch that was a forced switch. Like, I mean, they could have just died, but because now, of they did, they wanted to survive, you know, it forced them to pivot. Is that innovation or what are your thoughts about that type of situation?
0: That's a great example of an ecosystem innovation. So what are the new Lego blocks there? The new Lego blocks are international patients new currency exchanges. You probably also had new services offered. You know, you're not going to be treating infectious disease from an international patient. You're going to be doing surgeries and other types of work. And so they had this big Lego, you know, a 20-story hospital, and they say, how can I use, what new system can I build around that? And the ecosystem they built had airplanes, foreign foreign currency, foreign patients, and you know what you're seeing is exactly what other companies that are experiencing disruption have to go through, because oftentimes you're not going to get the big change until they're facing the truck rushing down the highway at them, but when they do, all of a sudden you get serious about reusing those Legos and imagining your organization in new ways. And you can get some really exciting stuff
1: happening. Mm. And I want to ask, you know, something for the listeners out there. What's the promise of the book, right? I know you're coming out, the book comes out on the 13th. So just before Valentine's Day, you could ruin some Valentine's Day if people buy it and they say, honey, I really have to stick with this book. Oh, no, no,
0: no. See, we see we're going to be the enabler of Valentine's Day. Because can you imagine how you would feel when your lover comes through that door, there's a yellow-covered innovation book in their hands. I mean, seriously. Let's recreate romance. our relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's here's the thing about ecosystem innovation. There's been a lot of discussion of systems innovation over the last 15 years, but it's kind of been the domain of, you know, PhDs and research engineers and people writing very sort of esoteric texts about it, if you actually wanted to go out and do it, there wasn't a book for you. And what we've really tried to do is step back, take all our experience doing this kind of disruptive, big thinking innovation, and say, what's the idea behind the practice? Who are the people that do it? And what are the steps you need to go through? And put that, you know, kind of in a playbook. And make it readable so that, you know, you aren't put into a coma the first time you get through the first couple of chapters.
1: Yeah, and when I'd, I'd say readable, looks, I mean, it looks great. All the design of it, the layout, I mean, impressive. So well done on that. And I think, you know, I do a work with kind of mid-sized family businesses to help them. What I tell them is I help mid-sized family businesses double their profits in 12 months. And to do that, you really do have to go through a transformation. But so many times that I'm talking with them, we get to the word innovation. Without innovation and coming up with new ways of doing things, you're not gonna get there. And I think also there's a great, you know, the the work that Michael Porter did, you know, many years ago originally on competitive advantage is ultimately to have a lasting competitive advantage It's got to be built into the supply chain. That it's very difficult for someone to just come in and copy. And the point is that, you know, without that, if you just try to do it the way everybody else does, there's no innovation.
0: Yeah, but can I challenge you on that?
1: Please, please.
0: So I think there's a strong argument to be made that there is no such thing as a lasting competitive advantage. Yeah. (laughs) You know, these days, you know, you build up that supply chain, you get all the optimization, the unique partnerships, and that's going to get you value in the market. Absolutely. But it's not going to keep other people from copying you. There's too many people who are smart, too many resources that people can put together, and they're going to be able to bolt together a supply chain, take all those Lego blocks and create a supply chain that's going to be able to match you. But even worse, they're going to be able to come up with something that doesn't even require that supply chain, that's going to completely reimagine the value proposition. And that's where you're really going to see the problem. Think back to your hospital example and imagine you're a U.S. hospital. That U.S. hospital can optimize its performance, et cetera, et cetera, but boy, it's not gonna be able to compete with that Thai hospital that's actually working under a completely different set of rules. Same thing with taxis and Uber. Same thing with Airbnb and hotels. All of these different scenarios where somebody created a new system, the old system is just at a disadvantage that they can't survive.
1: It's true, I think what you're saying is true, but it also can be a little bit frightening. Because what it means is that if I double down and, you know, I notice on your bookshelf some words like lean, if I double down to build a, a lean process and just constantly improve my process that takes me to another place, you know, I mean, like we are definitely way ahead of our competitors in another place. Don't take comfort in that because all of a sudden, you know, I think Borders Books was a great example. I think they Mm -hmm. really took books to another place. I really enjoyed going to Borders Books many years ago. I felt comfortable there. They had like a little coffee shop in some of them, you know, because you could just sit down like you were in a library and they perfected it. And they were destroyed by what Amazon, the innovation that Amazon brought.
0: Yeah. And I think this is. This is the thing that we've got to get used to. There's no industry, no business that's going to be stable. You know, there's a book out called Big Bang Disruption a few years ago, and they talked about shark fin innovations, where you got just this spike in value, but then in come the competitors, and now all of a sudden you're, you're out again, and you've got to do another innovation. So if I was gonna say what creates a valuable company, it's a company that can repeatedly innovate. And, you know, part of what we talk about when we go talk with executives is, don't tell me about your existing value proposition. No matter how good it is, it can't survive in this world. Hmm. Tell me about how
1: good you are at creating new value propositions you know as you're talking i'm going on amazon and ordering pre-ordering your book cuz i'm excited about it so i want to encourage everybody out there i'll have the links in the show notes and you know i've read between 3000 and 5000 books in my life and i just love reading i know you've got a great you know yeah. bit of books behind you too so it's exciting i i wanted to ask you a question about one thing and that is When I was 23 years old, 24 years old, I went to some seminars offered by Dr. W. Edwards Deming. And it was, you know, it just blew my mind, blew my Mm -hmm. mind and made me think about a lot of things. And he talked about his, later I wrote a book about his 14 points and called transform your business with Dr. Deming's 14 points. And now I'm also the host of the Deming Institute podcast, And I really enjoy talking to people about his teachings. But one of the things he talks about is create constancy of purpose for the improvement of product and service for the benefit of the customer, let's say, to simplify it. And I didn't really understand it at the time. And even over years, it took me time to realize that Toyota is one of the companies that really has implemented what he's taught from the beginning. And what they are trying to do is be a learning organization. Like that is the highest thing. If you're constantly, if you have tools for learning, Mm -hmm. and if you're constantly focused on, we are focused on learning, then you have a chance of responding to disruptions in the market in a way that you can survive it. But if you don't have a method for learning, when the disruptions come, boom, you're knocked out. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting
0: because Deming really is the godfather of that second type of innovation. And where the difference comes between an organization that does ecosystem innovation and, The incremental innovation that Deming has really focused on is what's your response to the learning? So with Deming, you have to continuously learn not only from the outside, but also from your own people and what's going on and you make incremental improvements. Everything is systematically stepped forward. In ecosystem innovation, we basically say. You're improving the Titanic as it's sinking. Nice to do, but it would be much better for you to discover a different boat. And so the response is, yes, I've learned, but now I'm going to go assemble a new boat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's the concept of ecosystem.
0: Yeah. it's Think of ecosystems like Lego blocks, and you can build a business out of Lego blocks. You know, when Airbnb built their Lego blocks, they said, we've got people who own apartments. We've got people who want to travel to different places. We've got cleaning services. We can bolt all those Lego blocks together with an added piece of technology and create an entirely new way of doing homes, you know, places that you visit. Every business can be
1: thinking about how do I combine and and create new Lego blocks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just thinking... But, Dan, it's so difficult. <laughs> like how do I, you know, I'm so bought into the system we've built? yeah, well, that's
0: that's the challenge, right? And when you start talking about, you know what makes a company high value, it's they figured out a way to both do what they do well now. You have to like what you're doing now, mm. but also have, enough disruption in your, in your makeup that you're willing to look and build to get out new things. And somehow you've got to hold both of those things in your mind. (laughs) One of the ways you can help do that is instead of imagine you wanted to build a new house and you're looking at your existing house, how do you do that? Well, you probably have to raise your house, right? You have to tear it all down, take all the pieces, get down to the foundation. Now, imagine you had a house that was built out of modular components, and you want to build a new house, you can take the modular components apart, you can put them together in new ways. That's going to be a lot more less traumatic, and that's what organizations need to start doing. They need to start thinking about how do I make my company more like modular blocks so that I can use them in new and different ways. And we see organizations doing this. It's really exciting when you see them because a new opportunity comes up and they put those Lego blocks together in an amazingly
1: quick time and not everybody's traumatized because you've torn down the house. Well, this has been a great intro discussion and we've gone on for a while because I think innovation is something that we need to be thinking about for our companies, yeah. but also you know, individually. How are we reinventing ourselves? How are we? I mean, part of innovation is incrementally improving, but yep. another part One is form. to is to accept the fact that that may not get you to the destination yep. when things are shifting. And I think that's you know what I'm learning from you. I'm looking forward to uh, to February 13th, and luckily, since I'm still single, I'm not going to disappoint anybody when I sit down on the 14th, and you know, just I'm re- just saying go into a bar, carrying that yellow book,
0: who knows what'll happen by the end of the evening.
1: Boom. Now there's an idea. Okay. That's yeah. could be, that's an innovative way of, of meeting new people. I like that. So let's, mm-hmm. let's go with that. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us about the circumstances leading up to it, then tell us your story. Well, let me give you like about an
0: eight-year history, which will go very quickly. (laughs) So I'm in college. I'm looking for what I want to do in life. And, you know, I've had kind of a little bit of an eclectic, as you might imagine, for a generalist college background. And I'm thinking Peace Corps. That's what I want to do. I want to go to the Peace Corps. I'm going to go to Nepal. I'm going to build water systems. This sounds very cool. And. I'm all ready to go three weeks away from traveling, do the perfunctory, you know, medical exam. And the doctor looks at me and says, you're not going into the Peace Corps. You've got an outie belly button. And I'm like, what? And he says, yeah, that's an umbilical hernia. We don't let any hernias into the Peace Corps. You're out. And so my outie belly button kicked me out of the Peace Corps three weeks before I was about to go. I had to go find a job. And I found a job at a local utility company as an engineer. And it was a pretty good job. I mean, most people would have thought that was a good job. I wasn't very good at it. You know, it's that detail stuff and everything, but I was chugging along. And I realized, you know, if I just wrote a computer program, it could do my job and I wouldn't have to do all this stuff, you know, that I was doing. So I started writing a computer program, still wasn't very good at my job. And then fortunately, the federal government deregulated the entire energy industry, threw everything into turmoil. We had a burning building. And guess who had a computer program that could save the day? It was me. So I got myself an innovation team and, you know, there was all this turmoil and disruption in the industry. And we just went and fixed things and changed things. It was very much ecosystem innovation, not that we knew at all what we were doing at that point in time. And almost everybody around me was like, dude, you need to get a real Joan. (laughs) Like, you are just, you're in the middle of, like, a collapsing building, you know? This is not, my parents were aghast, you know, friends had serious real jobs, and I was doing all this innovation-y stuff, and it wasn't so cool back then. And so, after about six or seven years, things began to calm down, and I got my reward. So, I had done all of this stuff, And there was a senior manager position in marketing, the newly created marketing department. And I could finally settle down and have a real job. And this was going to be like one that you went in in the morning, you did your stuff, then you came home at night. You had respect. You didn't have to explain to everybody what the heck you were doing. And you could really commit to sort of a degree of comfort and security and you know, i looked at it a little bit sideways but it's like this is what everybody told me that i should be aiming for you've got the job finally that you're going to be able to settle into and it's you know you've grown up you're an adult you're not doing this sort of young 20 something kind of thing and so i took the job and I was going to invest kind of the rest of my life in this, right? You know, with that job, I could move up in the company. I would have a chance for being an executive level kind of person. And boy, did I eat it. <laughs> like all of this security that I invested in, all of this comfort and, you know, ability to be seen as an adult I went in, in the morning and my soul felt dead and I got home at night and I was, it was just awful. And even worse than that, I was terrible at it. (laughs) And so I had basically invested my future in this success that I had earned And it was what everybody else said that I should want and I should do and I should pursue. And it was a catastrophe. I was bad at it. I didn't enjoy it. And now looking back on it, I realized the biggest sin of all was that I was entirely wasting the talents and the gifts that I was given. Mm. And, you know, had I stayed in that job my entire life, I would have regretted what I'd done with my life. And so, as an investment,
1: it really didn't pan out. And it all started with an Audi belly button.
0: Yeah. Well, it started out in an Audi belly button. But, you know, that's what I kind of find if you're looking to run into burning buildings, it's the unexpected
1: things that throw you in the way. So, let's summarize what would you say the lessons that you learned from this were? So, I think the lessons are
0: first, you need to understand who you are and what you're about, and then do that. And pretty much against anybody else's observations of what the right thing is, what the grown up thing is, what the good thing to do is. <laughs> and, you know, we've got a name for this type of role that is an ecosystem innovator, these generalist big picture rebels. And we call them choreographers. Mm. And, you know, this, I think this lesson is particularly important for them because almost every job in the world is designed to make choreographers miserable. And so you really, really have to be committed to following your passion and talents for that big picture thinking, that disruptive work. Otherwise, you're going to be dragged into these things. That make you miserable and that you're mm. not very good at.
1: Yeah. Maybe I'll share a couple takeaways. You know, the first one that I was thinking about, I wrote, I wrote a note while you were speaking, because you, as you said, I, I wasn't very good at my job. I thought, and you didn't like your job. I thought, I hate my job, and my job hates me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was one thing that I was thinking about. The other thing is the idea of figuring out where you fit in this world. Like, what is it that you're good at and how do you figure out where you do that? And I thought something that I've been recently saying is in my past, for 31 years, I've been a teacher. And like a professor at university, I get up in front of people and I go through slides and I I teach information, but I'm not a teacher anymore. Now, during a portion of my life, I've also been a trainer where I go and teach a little bit and say, okay, how do we apply that into our company and that type of thing? But I'm not a trainer anymore. What I am is a transformer. Mm -hmm. And when I learned about the transformation that I could deliver with my valuation masterclass bootcamp, by bringing it online, now we're in our 13th iteration. I've realized that what people want, what we, all want is a transformation in our life. If I can attend something that will bring me a true transformation in the way I think or the way I understand something or anything that that's the value that I can bring to this world. And so I just want to highlight what you made me think about a lot as we've been in this discussion, but my takeaways is find your place and in my case, I am a transformer
0: and you know, it's interesting that you've given it a name because one of the challenges I think choreographers face is in the arts, there's lots of names for this type of role. There's a showrunner, you know, a showrunner brings together all the parts you need to produce a television show. There's a director who, you know, creates a movie from all the different parts. There's a choreographer who creates dance from all the different dancers and the music and everything. All of these different roles are about combining things in new and original ways to deliver exceptional value. Look in business. There is no name (laughs) for this role in a business world. There's roles for people who manage what already exists and who do incremental improvements to things, but there's really no name for the position of somebody who reimagines how all the pieces can fit together. And so part of what has been, you know, key to this journey for me and for others is just giving this role a name. You know, you called yourself a transformer. Our tribe is calling ourselves choreographers and just having a name is just hugely powerful. You know, I mean, one of the reasons I was so at sea and was so willing to take that job is that I didn't realize I actually already had a job. Mm-hmm. I had a job as a choreographer, and it was a real
1: job, but I didn't have a name for it. And so I was too willing to walk away from it. Mm. So let's let's kind of go back in time and say, you know, think about someone today who's swimming in this same sea that you were swimming in at that time, based upon what you learned from this particular story and what you've continued to learn. What would be one action? That you would recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate well i think there's the general action of
0: taking the time and investing the effort in figuring out what you really are and to our earlier point in the conversation what you really are not you know there's this Strengths finder 2.0 test yeah. that you can take great book and you know you get your four or five top skills and most people I know are not terribly surprised by their four or five top skills. Mm. Yeah, I've got it on the yep, we can compare copies. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, there you go, that's interesting. I'm number one is strategic. Yep, so. so for the listeners out there, I'm showing this is one of this is a very innovative book in the sense that you know, you take an online survey and then you come back to the book and you get access to the survey in the back of the book. And then in the back of the book, they give you stickers where you pick your five, you know, they help you to identify what you are. For my top five strengths, it's activator, strategic, maximizer, significance, focus. But each person's going to have a different way of interacting with this book. They're going to have a different five. And all that really we look at is I read the five chapters about the things that I am. And then you put it on, you put those stickers on the front. I just thought that was such an innovative idea for the book. Yeah.
0: But here's what we discovered when we were working with choreographers. So like every choreographer is strategic, you know, every choreographer, you know, there's, there's things like you can kind of, If it isn't one exact thing, it's something that means something very similar. Ideation, da-da-da-da-da. But what I found is that if you pay a little extra test, they'll tell you the bottom five. (laughs) And the bottom five is the real eye-opener. Because what this tells you is these are the five things that you need to let go. You will never be good at these five things. And therefore, you should abandon them. And Mm. you should give up things that require you to be those five things that you're just not going to be. And what I found with choreographers, we spend so much time with people telling us what we should do. We should be more organized. We should have greater attention to detail. The ability to say... But I'm not good at that, and therefore, I'm not going to build my life around it. And instead, I'm going to embrace these other things that I am good at, and it is a real job, and I'm part of a bigger tribe of people who are like me. That's an enormously like powerful and reinforcing message for doing
1: what you should be doing. That's uh, fascinating. I mean, I've loved this book for a long time, but I, I'm going to check that out about finding out because you know, what's, what's my bottom five? Because part of what I try to teach and what I'm trying to do in my life is say, true strategic choice means giving up. Yeah, And if you're not giving up, and giving up in a painful way, where people are complaining that we can't do this because we don't have the resources and customers are complaining that, hey, we used to have this and we don't. Because that's when you know you've made a true reallocation of resources.
0: The cool thing about ecosystem innovation when you're building systems is oftentimes you get to have your cake and eat it too. You can put things together in new ways that don't have the same sort of zero-sum trade-offs. Mm. And so you can, you can get A, and you can have a fair amount of B if you just assemble things right. And so... You know, one of the things that's often exciting about when you're doing an ecosystem innovation is that you look at it and you say, "Ooh, I can actually make both of these groups happy. And before I would have had to piss one of them off.
1: Okay. Now I'm going to read the book. All right. What is a resource that you'd recommend? So, At this stage, with a book coming out in three weeks,
0: I'd be pretty much a fool not to say the resource would be, uh, you know, Do Bigger Things by Jenny Wilde and Dan McClure. Mm -hmm. We really have invested a lot of time in trying to put together something that's fun to read. It's got a lot of stories that illustrate complex concepts. So hopefully, you know, it's the kind of thing that if you've got this inclination that you're kind of a generalist that you're trying to do interesting and
1: important things, you know, hopefully this is a book that'll help. Yep. And I'm going to have links in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. And you can also just go to innovationecosystems.com to learn more. So last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: You know, for the longest time, I feel like I've been wandering the countryside looking for choreographers and finding them one by one and, you know, having a beer with them. My hope is with the book out and with the things that are happening in the world now, which make choreographers so much more valuable and so much more important, that this is the year that we're all going to get together, that our tribe is really going to form.
1: And I'd like to be part of that, you know, creation of the tribe. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And as we conclude, Dan, I want to thank you again for joining that mission. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's been great fun. Yes, I've enjoyed it immensely. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, go do bigger things, muck around in the world, change stuff. It's a lot of fun. Have fun. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well. Fellow risk takers, let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.